Welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I am so happy to be back with you this week. My husband and I took a little vacation last week, and I hope you were able to enjoy the rerun. It's always nice to hear things two or three times. It usually takes me two or three times to actually absorb information. So I hope you took advantage of that. Um, we had a wonderful little break, and I would highly recommend if any of you are looking for a great place to go to get away, to truly find some peace and tranquility, I highly re- recommend uh, Red Mountain Resort in St. George, Utah. It's um, an, kind of an all-inclusive. I mean, you're not... You're not uh, stuck there by any means, um, but it has everything that you need. Your food is provided, uh, health classes, exercise classes, hiking, walks, exploratory things. They bring in speakers. They have cooking demonstrations, and you just find yourself wanting to be outside, wanting to uh, take in nature and, you know, even though there's a television in every room, by the time you get through with all of your activities and then usually an evening massage or facial or something like that, you just want to go home and go to bed. It's fabulous. It's really, really a unique place. And what's interesting is to find so many people that have traveled from all over the world to go to this little place in St. George, Utah. So that just confirms that it's truly a unique, uh, a unique place. So my husband and I were able to get away, thankfully, because of the wonderful help of a caregiver. Um, those of you who have children with disabilities or are caregivers for parents or siblings or if that's even your occupation, you will understand how difficult it is to get away. And it it becomes increasingly difficult as you get older because, you know, here you are, you know, my husband and I are at the age where people are retiring, people are calling themselves empty nesters, and we will never have an empty nest. Our our child will live with us forever and he requires you know 24 7 care so in order for us to get away we have to find someone who's willing to stay overnight and take care of him and you know we're very blessed because we have children uh, his older brothers and sisters who often take care of him but you know they're growing up they have children of their own now and their lives are crazy and so we were able to find a wonderful young lady to come over and, and sit with him so that we could get away. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for those of you who are caregivers to get some respite. And even though it, I, I will be the first to admit that no one will take care of your child or your parent or your loved one the way that you will. And I always find myself, when I come home, it used to frustrate me because it made getting away even harder because I knew that when I came back, I would be dealing with something, whether it was a little bit of a bed sore or a, you know, unexplained rash or his hair hadn't been washed the way I like to wash it or something would be different. And it was frustrating for me that I might have, you know, I might have gotten away for a week, but I now have a week of, you know, healing a bed sore or finding a cure for an unexplained rash that he's developed or something like that. But 
all of these things are not the not the um, fault of the caregiver. It's just that no one knows your person like you know your person. And you know, I have to go through my son's body, you know, daily and look for bed sores or or hot spots and and things like that. And other people aren't aren't so aware of that kind of thing. So, you know, I used to not ever want to get away because I knew that I would have to come home and take care of something else. But I learned that that wasn't healthy either, that if I couldn't get away, then I would I was just a mess and then I wasn't helpful for anyone, including myself. So, you know, even even I see this in my own aging parents that um, one one spouse will be taking care of the other spouse and they don't you know they don't want to ask for help they don't they they'll take care of it they've been taking care of this person for 65 years you know but they also need to get away so if i could leave a message with you today it would be for you to if you're able to look for someone who is a full-time caregiver and offer to give them a little bit of respite. And um, that is definitely my message for you today. I also want to remind you that I always start out my shows with my favorite quote from Albert Einstein, which is that there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. And truly going down to a beautiful location like St. George, Utah, with the Red Mountains, you cannot help but look around and see the miracle in everyday everyday life. I hope that I'm finding you today positive and prayerful and productive. And I think that if you started today feeling a little down or feeling a little sorry for yourself, I hope that my guest will, you know, lift you up a little bit, give you hope. Uh, my guest today is Jocelyn Sewell, and she is a young mother. Her and her husband were married in um, 2001, and a little while after they were married, they gave gave birth to their first child, a, a beautiful little boy. And, you know, as we often hear lately, the story of a child who is developing normally, you know, at around 22 months, he completely lost his language and his ability to communicate. And at the age of two and a half, he was diagnosed with autism. And he is now 12 and is mostly nonverbal. He has about 10 words or phrases that are functional. And his autism is considered moderate to severe. He struggles with simple kindergarten and preschool activities, but he, like a lot of children, has found something that really um, catches his interest, and he loves to create short animated scenes on his iPad, and he also enjoys creating stop animation with a series of pictures. So he's a happy boy. He has blessed their family, and the greatest thing that I can say about having a loved one with a disability is that it gets you motivated to share your story because you are you see what you're going through and you really have a desire to help other people and in Jocelyn's case she happens to be a dental hygienist and she has used her training as a dental hygienist and now as a mother of an autistic child to help others uh, something as simple as dental care, I don't think people understand how um, every little thing in life is affected by a disability. And in, in my son's case, um, you know, I take him to the dentist every six months, and in order for him to have a simple teeth cleaning, he has to be put under a light anesthesia. And not all dentists are willing to do that. I drive about a, uh, an hour away to a dentist that I found who 
uh, specializes with children with disabilities because he has a sister with Down syndrome. And so he, from the very beginning, he and his wife decided that they would work with children with disabilities. And what a blessing that is. And and uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I always have to go over very early in the morning before his regular practice starts. And, uh, you know, my son is a little sleepy. But in order for, you know, dental health is so important to your overall health. Um, and we're fortunate enough to be able to just use a light anesthetic to get his dental work done. But, you know, children that have autism, we'll talk with Jocelyn and find out how that works. So let's bring her on the line. Jocelyn, how are you today? I am great, Renee. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so excited. And I, I introduced you a little bit, but talk a little bit more, uh, just, you know, kind of even from the very beginning about, you know, you've got, you know, uh, Ethan, correct? That's his name? Yes, that's his name. Yeah. You had your baby and everything is going great and he's, he's hitting every milestone and kind of take the story from there. Okay. Um, so at the time, my husband and I both worked at a fitness center. My husband was the um, assistant manager, and I was the manager of the daycare at the fitness center. And so thankfully, Ethan was able to go to work with us every day, and we have fond memories of the three of us packing up and heading to work, and what a blessing that was. And as I was around children that were Ethan's same age, in the beginning, I marveled because he did things earlier than the other kids did. And he sat up early, he walked early, he talked early. And even, um, you know, before the age of 22 months, so a year and a half old, this child had even the ability to be sarcastic and had this amazing sense of humor. And we would just, you know, we just couldn't believe it. And... um Then we were getting ready to go on a family vacation, and we were going to go to Utah to visit my brother-in-laws. And I remember thinking before we left how excited I was that Ethan was now old enough that he was interacting with kids and friends, and he would respond to questions asked of him and things like that. I remember thinking how excited I was that he was going to interact with his cousins and play with his uncles and these things. And when we got there, I remember sitting back and watching the kids playing, and I would notice wherever the kids were, Ethan was not. Mm. And that was my first clue. I thought, this is so strange because he's very social. And so we came home, and then I started um, just kind of noticing, like, you know, I would try to get him to say a word, and he wouldn't say it. Or, you know, you see this boom in kids where once they get a couple of words, it's like, They're trying new words and saying new words every day, and that became a little bit more difficult. And, you know, looking back, you think, how did you miss it? But when you're right in the middle of it, it's difficult to see. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was July, around July 3rd. And in August, it was apparent that he was very different, and he, Mm. he was not talking anymore. So I went to my family doctor and said, you know, he, he's not talking anymore. And unfortunately, you know, I was seeing a family doctor and not a pediatrician. And I told my doctor that, and it, you know, he said, oh, kids do that. They start talking and then they stop again, which would have been a red flag, I think, if it was a pediatrician. But unfortunately, you will see that a lot of family physicians, if a child is diagnosed with autism, that diagnosis comes much later because they kind of pass off parents' concerns. And, and no, you know, to no fault of theirs, they're not specialists in autism. 
so um, then, you know, we just kind of let it go. I came back a month later. Ethan had had another ear infection. He had so many ear infections when he was little, and the doctor had had time to think about it. And so he said, have we done a speech and hearing test on him? We had not. So by the time I got into the audiologist, because we're in a rural area, it takes a long time to get in. Um, it was a couple of months later. It was inconclusive because he wouldn't behave the way the audiologist wanted him to behave. So we went to a bigger city, to a different audiologist a month later. And then, um, you know, the test was inconclusive there. And so we ended up calling the local group that comes in and assesses your child for developmental disabilities. So it was in July that we had noticed something was different. That following April, um, when Ethan was two and a half, we got the autism diagnosis. And so um, we went down to Albuquerque. We met with a team of specialists. They evaluated him, sat all of our family down, and they said, you know, we've evaluated Ethan. We want you to know that he meets the criteria for autism spectrum disorder. Mm. And so and that that must have been a shock, like you say, a, a, after working in a in a with lots of children. Had you had a chance to observe other children? Were there other children in the daycare at the fitness center that had autism, or that you yeah. uh, that you ever looked at and went, "Oh, wow, I feel so bad for those people." Whew, we, we you know we dodged you know, a bullet. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up because there was a little boy that was diagnosed about six months prior to when we started noticing changes with Ethan. And he had very classical symptoms of autism. You know, he kind of flapped, he rocked, he would never talk, you know, those things. And, and I told my mom on the phone when we were in the middle of this process, I said, you know, there's a little boy in the daycare that has autism, and that is not what Ethan has. Uh-huh, yeah. And so, because um, it is a spectrum disorder. And I, I like what you said about how oftentimes – we see two sides of the spectrum. We see the brilliant, you know, almost Asper, more Asperger, you know, computer physics scientist, and then we see the child that is extreme, that is, like you say, um, oh, so just I can't imagine the challenges that these families have. But it is a spectrum, and these kids are at all different levels, and so it is so hard to recognize things like that in your own children. It is. And he was our first one and, you know, yeah. that's different. And so, and I think that any autism mom can relate to this. It's like once you have a child with autism and you, you live with a child with autism, you can go out in public and it's like, you're like, oh yeah, they're on our, they <laughs> on our street. You know, that's oh yeah, so oh there's, funny. you know. Yeah. I, it's so funny you would say that because my daughter is going through the same thing. She, her little boy was recently diagnosed and she said now she's like radar. She said, I go through yeah. the store and I go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, and she just sees it, you know. And because you, and and this, and her little boy was her third, and but he, her her oldest two children were tough babies. They were they were tough babies. So this little guy that was so quiet and peaceful was like, whew, finally, you know. Now she looks back and she goes, oh my gosh, you know, there were signs from the very beginning. But yeah, you don't see it, and I think it's especially true as you mentioned with your first. Especially when they when they are like you were saying, so advanced, you're kind of like, hey, yeah, we did that, <laughs> you know. And yeah. you know, there there's a piece of me that is just, I like, you know, Ethan having autism. It really just completely takes me out of this whole comparing 
ourselves to other mothers and other kids because I would have totally been one of those moms that was like, oh, yeah, well, my son did this, mm-hmm. this, and that. You know what I mean? And it just completely took me out of that loop. And so when I hear moms that are just like, kind of trying to like one up each other about their grades or their sports accomplishments or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? We colored in the lines today. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, yeah. I don't know. You yeah. feel like you live <laughs> in the world, but not of the world when you have right. a child with special needs. Because parenting Absolutely. magazines, they have nothing to offer me, you know? No. No. Just, so. It's, well, it's and you know what's even true with, uh, it's true with, I think, autism as well as, you know, my son has cerebral palsy. And I get frustrated sometimes because recently I read an article about a mother with a child with Down syndrome. And she was talking about how she doesn't see children in on uh, billboards or in magazines or on television with disabilities. And so her goal is to get children with disabilities in those things to have the world recognized. And, but I, and I applaud that and I think that's wonderful. But my first reaction as a child with cerebral palsy is that's because your little girl is pretty. Yes, she has Down syndrome, but she's cute. She's pretty. Um, cerebral palsy is tough to look at sometimes. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of times they're slobbering and their, their arms are bent and their heads are cocked and their, their jaws are jetted and they're not pretty. And so, I find myself getting defensive and going, not all disabilities are cute, you know, and uh-huh. there's not an Abercrombie ever that's going to pick up. Even though my son pretty much was dressed in only Abercrombie in high school, there is no <laughs> yeah. way he's ever going to be in an ad for Abercrombie, you know. And sure. so you do. You take – and I, and I learned, even with my, my children that aren't disabled, I learned early that if I was going to take credit for the, the great one who sat in class with his arms folded and – saying, yes, ma'am, I also had to take credit for the one that was in the principal's office every day. And so I learned that I didn't want to take credit for that one, so I wasn't going to take credit for the other one either, you know. (laughs) But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's take a break, Jocelyn, because I want to just um, uh, take a little break, and then when we come back, I just want to let you tell your story. So let's take a break. Now back to Renee Steelman for more Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back. That was, uh, we uh, just took a little break and it gives me an opportunity to reintroduce Jocelyn to you. And I, I want all of you to get on her uh, Facebook page, her blog. If you just push in a hashtag everyday autism 2015, you'll get connected to her Instagram and her blog. And what I like about what Jocelyn realized was that she decided that she was going to try to blog every day and just show the world what it's like every day to have a child with autism. And, um, you know, then what I love is that she took her, as I mentioned before, she took her career as a dental hygienist and she decided to really start to teach the other people that work in the dental industry, you know, how to be sensitive to these kids with disabilities. And so now she, she's teaching a course to parents about how to take care of their children's teeth at home and how to work with their dental hygienist. And she's working with the Autism Society of America, and she's going to be speaking at their uh, convention in July. And she's just really getting out there to 
you know, help people to understand what it's like. And tell me, um, the article that I saw on the mighty.com website, I had, I had written an article for that, um, website as well. And so that connected me to everything they put in. So the next thing I knew you popped up there and I'm like, yes. And I think it's so important for, for everyone to understand how having a community. And I don't think that means you have to go to a, uh, you know, sit down with 12 other people in a circle. But even if it's, even if your community is just a social community, uh, from social media where you hear or read other people's stories and you find out that you're not alone, you're not by yourself. And so your goal was to just kind of show people what it's like on a day to day basis. And so give us a little snippet of what it is like for you every day, this morning, whatever. Okay, um, you know, I just felt like there were a whole bunch of us, right, living in the middle of the spectrum that mm-hmm. were kind of passed over, and so I thought, I'm just going to do this. One, every day, I'm going to share something, and I'm just going to try to be really honest, because I think that we find on social media, sometimes we present our best selves mm-hmm. and the happy moments, and so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, whatever happens that day, I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to be really honest about it. And so, you know, there are days where we have a good day, and, um, you know, everything goes well. And then, you know, there are days where it's really difficult, and we have some catastrophic events, and I write about it honestly. And then, you know, sometimes it's just the the very typical things, like having to get him dressed three times and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he's going to try to steal chocolate ice cream at six o'clock in the morning before I wake mm-hmm. up because he knows mm-hmm. he can get into the freezer or whatever the case may be. And what I found, I've just been so, um, overwhelmed that mothers reach out to me and they mm-hmm. say, you know, thank you so much for writing about this because I don't feel like I'm alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women, you know, other mothers have reached out and said, you know, you put to words what I can't say, and I need mm-hmm. you to keep writing. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really humbling, and it's um, made me really reflect on on Ethan and, and why he has autism. And I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of people will look at a, a person with disabilities and think to themselves, you know, oh, that's kind of like, it's like a waste of, a wasted life. Like, what is the purpose Right. That. And that's so unfortunate. And I feel um, that that is not the case at all. I feel like, unfortunately, the world does not see that having a child with autism or with any other type of disability, that it's really, I look at it as a sacred calling mm-hmm. and that it helps us to grow in ways we would have never anticipated and helps us stop and see the beauty in life and appreciate the small things and I feel like it's made our life so much richer and mm-hmm. it's given us purpose and direction. And I feel like for whatever reason, I am supposed to tell Ethan's story mm-hmm. and that that story needs to be heard and that our family needs to be seen as an example that disability, you know, it, it, it is beautiful. It is, you right. know, that it is, it is fulfilling. Yes, it is challenging. It is hard. And right. there are some days where you just want to throw your hands up and say, I just need a stop button. I just need a pause button to catch my right. breath. 
Right. But and don't you that, think, don't you think, Jocelyn, that, um, and this is probably very politically incorrect to say, but I feel as though, you know, the, our parents' generation, the, the generation of people who came up through the Depression, through World War II, where every home had a star in the window. Everyone lost someone. Everyone had either a brother or a father or someone that was killed in the war. Or they had relatives that came back. And then, you know, and then in our, gen- in my generation, not yours, you're the age of my children, but in my generation, you know, we had the Vietnam War <clears throat> and we had parents that had gone through hard times. So they didn't put up with any kind of whining from us, you know. And then our, gen- you know, my generation, you know, we had, I think, the beginning of the, I had a tough life, so I'm going to make my child's life easy. And then my children's generation, that, those were the kids that came up with, you know, I so distinctly remember sitting in an assembly at their high school and having them announce that they were going to be having an award ceremony the following Friday. For This was right after Columbine. I mentioned this once before. But Columbine, the shooting in Columbine, just kind of turned the world upside down. And they were going to have an assembly to give awards to children, people who had never had an award. So all of a sudden there was this assembly and people were getting an award for coming to school every day, uh, you know, wearing their shirt you know, right side in instead of outside, you know, and I was like, what the, he-? and this is when the, I remember seeing the signs in the hallway being taken down. My girls were, were cheerleaders and I'd say, why, what happened? Why did you have to take that sign down? Well, we can't say, you know, beat the team, slaughter them, smash them. We can't say that anymore. So now we have to write signs that say, um, good luck, you know, do your best, you know, even for the opposing team, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so, you had this generation that grew up with everybody getting an award and everybody tolding, being told how great they are. And then they have, you know, and then we have this epidemic of autism and people are kind of being brought back to, oh, I, okay, I guess everybody doesn't have it easy peasy. And I guess we do have hard things in life. And it's a little bit of a shock for some people. And, in a way, it's kind of a, a new awakening because it is affecting, you know, one in every 68 families um, in some way or another with the other. I mean, this is just one of the problems that are that's coming up. But how did you handle, like, for example, um, a couple of months ago when the whole, you know, measles epidemic was coming out and then once again, everyone was getting on the, the thing about, you know, vaccines. And and I I was so frustrated because as a health person, I look at the Food and Drug Administration and our, you know, other government programs that are supporting, you know, our food and things like that. And I see how they're totally, you know, blowing all of this out of proportion or they're covering up things that they don't want people to know. And everyone looks at that and goes, yeah, I think this is like the tobacco industry in the 60s where they continued to advertise, even though Reader's Digest was telling us that smoking is hazardous and that it will kill you. They, you know, Other people were going, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I have a grandmother that lived to be 95 and smoked, you know, a pack a day. I don't think, you know, smoking kills you. And so now they're coming out and they're saying, you know, vaccines don't kill you. Medical, you know, professionals have shown that vaccines don't cause autism. And it's like, that could be true. But unless you have a child with autism, you don't understand the fear that you don't know what is causing it. And therefore, you're afraid of the juice, the milk, mm-hmm. the vaccines, uh, mm-hmm. the air, the microwave. Yeah. Everything. You're afraid of everything because no one is giving you answers. So how have you worked with 
like the vaccines. How did you deal with the va- vaccinations? Well, by this time, he's already had, has he, had he already had his MMR and I mean, 18 months, he probably did, right? Were you right on schedule? So, yes. And, um, you know, it's such a complicated issue and people get so emotional over it. And so to try to answer all your questions, you know, I had, you know, I'm on social media, obviously, like I blog and things like that. And then I have, you know, just personally on, on Facebook and I, and I had all these friends that would just get on these rampages about vaccinating your kids and, you know, things like that. And, and they would say all these hateful comments and the anti-vaxxers and things like that. And I, and I almost just had to delete everything and get off of it until it blew over because, uh-huh. um, you know, I feel like if the only people, the only place you get information on vaccines is the CDC, uh-huh. I feel like you're missing half the issue. And so, you know, it is difficult. And, and with Ethan having regressive autism, where, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say vaccines caused Ethan's autism, but he had his 18-month shots at 20 months, and at 22 months, he was not the same kid. And right. so, yes, there, there is a piece of me that doubts that that was safe, and for whatever reason, with his genetic makeup, right, you know, and the toxins and things that are in the vaccines, and so yes, it is difficult. And you're right, we do we research everything, and right. we don't drink milk. You know, we right. know about all the hormones in milk. We try to eat organic. We try to take these toxins and things out of our environment. And so, my daughter was born seven years. Ethan was seven years old when I had her. And I cried every single time I had to give her a vaccine. Right. And, you know, talked to my pediatrician and was like, you know, what do you think about the delayed schedule? And, you know, you just get passed off. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, it doesn't cause autism. And so I did it. And then um, we actually, um, we have um, a 16-month-old and um, he, he, we have not vaccinated him. And I'm not saying that I won't eventually get those things because I do as being in the healthcare field I understand the vaccines are important I understand you know that it could be a major health epidemic if people did not follow through with that but he would be on a delayed schedule but you know and then you know occasionally my doctor will say things kind of ornery things to me about oh well you know when measles there's another measles outbreak and you decide you're going to get it you know just come on Mm -hmm. in Mm-hmm. And things like that. So, yes, it it is frustrating. It is so frustrating mm-hmm. because you dive into health research and nutrition research because you're trying to find an answer and you realize right. that the food that we eat is not as healthy as it should be. It's not, you know, right. what we're putting into our bodies can affect a developing child. And so it is really difficult to know the best thing to do. Well, and I think it's frustrating too because, you know, I see like the wonderful, the wonderful people that are working with Autism Speaks. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was, that was the Autism Speaks Foundation was started by grandparents who had a child with autism. And I don't see the, uh, the, uh, cry from the industry. I don't see the movie stars and the, you know, the Jude's Hospital, St. Jude's Hospital. I don't see that kind of attention being given to autism. And yet, you know, with the statistics the way they are, it's affecting, like when my, when I'll say to my daughter, oh, um, I, did you know that my good friend, you know, Brenda has a grandson with autism? She goes, of course. Of course she does. Everybody does now, you know. <laughs> 
it has touched everyone's life. You would think that something that severe, if everyone had a child with polio, yeah, they would be doing something. And yet there doesn't seem to be that that crisis mentality in this epidemic that's going on. And and yet it is just it is the scariest thing. Talk a little bit about um, uh, the fact that you did have your second child seven, you know, when Ethan was seven, because that was scary for you. It was really scary for us, and we had we had been trying to, uh, you know, we wanted our kids close together. We had been trying to get pregnant before we noticed signs with Ethan, and I just really had this feeling one day when I was, you know, kneeling in prayer that it was not time. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, we'll wait. And then, just to, you know, about six months later, we find out that Ethan has autism, and so at that point, you know, we ha- we knew that Ethan needed our full attention. We knew that he needed every bit of money, every bit of attention, every bit of love that we could throw at him. Because, you know, in the beginning, you're like, oh, we're going to beat this. Like, mm-hmm. we are going to, you know, he's going to graduate high school. He's going to go to college. He's going to get married. He's going to serve a mission. Like, we are going to beat this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now when, when I hear parents say that, it's kind of like, oh, it makes me cringe a little because some yeah. of us, we're not going to beat it, you know, and right. we learn to accept it and live with it. And that's where we are. And we learn to embrace it. So, you know, we had, we had really, you know, gone back and forth. Do we have another child with autism? What do we do? And we did. We really, really hoped for a girl. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it felt like, you know, we Because the statistics family. are are more for boys than they are for girls. The high, their yes. percentage is higher for, for boys, right? Go ahead. Correct, yes. So when we found out it was a girl, that brought a little piece of, you know, a little piece of, even though, yes, girls are affected right. by autism. And so we had our daughter, and, um, you know, she was under the microscope because we had a child with special needs, and we were, we were sitting on pins and needles waiting for those developmental milestones. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, you know, if, if, if she is, if she can get to three years old mm-hmm. and she does not develop autism, then we might have another. But mm-hmm. we're not even going to consider it until she's at least three and we know that, yes, we either have another child with autism or we are in the clear. Mm-hmm. And it's not because we do not want to raise another child with autism. Right. It's because we, at some point we are going to die or we mm-hmm. are going to be too old to take care of him or her. Right. And, right. and what, you know, we have to prepare for their future. So right. we had Lila. She developed like a typical child. She's been talking for her brother since she was eight oh. months old. He, she helped him develop in ways we could have never anticipated. She is the first person he verbally said, I love you too. And it was in the Oh, oh, and I so love that. They just, she has this special calling to be right. his sister. And so. Right. Then we said, and then Lila turned three, and then a month later, I got pregnant with Lincoln, and Lincoln is 16 months old, and you know, having a boy, we have a little bit of that anticipation and that anxiety, mm-hmm. and when he turned a year old on his birthday, it was, you know, we should be celebrating, and we were celebrating, and and you know, loving this right. little boy, but there was a piece of me that was like, okay, in 12 months, I should know what. Mm-hmm potentially mm-hmm. what life may bring us if it's going right. to if we're going to have another child with special needs or if he's going to be able to help his sister right right 
And I don't think that people understand that, that it's one thing when you're young and you're healthy and if you have the means, you know, to take care of a child, but you do at some point recognize that you're getting older or that you're going to get old and, you know, they're probably going to get old too. I mean, there are, and that's another wake up call. You have like all these wake up calls throughout your life. Every stage that you go through, you go, Oh, I forgot to think about that, you know, and, uh, and you know, it's so funny you would mention that because my, my daughter is seeing the same thing. She has a little girl that's about 14 months and this little girl, I love watching these two together because she'll, you know, our little guy with autism, he's, his fascination is letters and numbers. And so he'll lay out his, you know, alphabet cards and then, and then his little sister will go up and grab one. And he just kind of looks at her like, seriously, I cannot believe you took A. I put A back here, you know, but the interaction between those two is so important. And he, they, yeah, they are teaching each other and, you know, it's it's so beautiful to see what other children, even though they're not, like you say, there's like a side-by-side play or just a, I'm in the room, but I'm not really with you. But it's so important for them to be surrounded by kids their own age and and all of that. Now, Ethan is in school. He is, uh, what is he, in sixth grade? Actually, he's in fifth grade. And uh, okay. right now we're actually using um, homeschool. We're doing homeschool. Oh, you are. Now, did you choose that because of an experience you had in the public schools, or why did you choose homeschool? Okay, so we live in a small area, a small town and um, in New Mexico, and he went to a charter school. Or so he went to, like, a special preschool for early mm-hmm. intervention, and then he went to a charter school, kindergarten through third grade. And then uh. we moved to Arizona for a short time, and then and when we moved to Arizona – um, I didn't know anybody there. And, I, you know, I just know everybody in the community here. And so um, at the charter school, the principal had been my PE teacher when I was in third grade. And, you know, I knew people, and I, and I felt like I just felt comfortable sending my nonverbal child to school with them. Yes. Um, in Arizona, we were in a really small town, and, um, you know, he was on a gluten-free and a casein-free diet, but he would steal other kids' food. You know, oh, like you see yeah. a goldfish and grab it. Um, right. He, he, you know, if he went to the bathroom and he had to go poop, he needed somebody to clean him up still. Okay. He would only eat certain things and the food had to be the right temperature. And, you know, sending your yeah. nonverbal child who could never tell on anybody if he yep. was picked on or abused or things like it was very difficult. So we actually utilized... um an online school in Arizona. It was Arizona Virtual Academy. It was a K-12 school. Mm-hmm. He was in a self-contained classroom, and it worked really, really well. And so oh. then we actually got transferred back to New Mexico, and um, we're hoping that he will get back into the charter school. Mm. So we were just – we came in mid-year, so we just decided to finish. And we're doing the same things that we were doing with the online school. I just – you know, I'm not emailing the teacher every day. Right, right. To say what and, we've done. Right. And that's such a hard thing that, again, I, I remember when my guy was in the school system, I had a friend up the street who had a set of twins, and one of them had Down syndrome. And 
her experience with the school was so different from mine because my guy was there for social reasons. He loved just being around everyone and everybody high-fiving him and just, you know, loving on him. And he just, it was just like a big play day for him. And there was, I knew he would never be independent. He was never going to live independently. So the trips to the library or how to ride the bus, those were just outings for him. But in her case, she needed her child to learn occupational therapy, to learn how to be an independent person. And so she, you know, would take him out of that school and move him to the other middle school or this kind of stuff because you have to be really on top of it. Um, and like you say, I, oh boy, having a nonverbal child, it is frightening because you have to rely on their emotions and on their, their, um, their eyes. I mean, you just have to read their souls to find out what's going on with them. And I think as a mother, you're the only person that can really, even as a grandmother, I, I, you know, love this little guy so much. And I, because I have a little of experience, I try to just get in his head, but his mom knows him, you know, and then she mm-hmm. tells me the cues and things I have to look for. And, and, um, have you ever sent Ethan to like a summer camp or a day camp in the summer or anything like that? Oh, you know, I haven't. And we, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, we've tried to do Special Olympics or we've tried mm-hmm. to do different things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe it's just that, that I have a hard time letting somebody else trust that they're going to know what to do. But with mm-hmm. Ethan, because he's, you know, he's pretty much nonverbal, you right. just, have to just know him so well and so like the thought of like sending him away for a night I mm-hmm. with people who don't know him mm-hmm. I just don't know if that's a possibility you know they have to give him his medication and then it's a very series of okay but right after you give him his medication he's got to go to the bathroom and then he mm-hmm. needs to go to bed because he doesn't get up if it's dark and if he doesn't go to the bathroom he's going to mm-hmm. lay there awake and have mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom and not be able to tell anybody or, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. So I've, I've never sent him away. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we decided to do homeschool, uh, we really concentrated on some of those, like showering himself mm. and, you know, things like that and helping me get him a snack, you know, get, right. get a snack independently or get a drink mm. independently. And he's come a long way. And now... Mm-hmm that he's a preteen, I am noticing that he's wanting that social interaction more. Oh. And when we we see other people that are, you know, his same age, he does not know how to interact with them at all, but he tries right. to sit close to them, right. he'll grab their hand, he'll lean up against them, you know, different things like that. And so it is important, and, and that's why we want him to go back to the charter school. And right. the kids at this charter school, they didn't put him in a separate classroom where mm. he – you know, and so he was right in the middle of the classroom with all of the other kids, and he had a one-on-one aide. And so oh, yeah. he still had his own things that he would do, and she would help him. But the kids were fantastic, and they ended up being like these little mini occupational therapists that had no idea what occupational therapy was. Yeah. Like yeah. they would make things for him that he could feel and touch and play with, and they would come up to him and they'd say, Hi, Ethan. Ethan. You say hi. Say hi. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they were just so good with him. And uh-huh. and what we realized is that the kids received some some learning skills and, and acquired some tasks. Right, they right. Never, without Ethan, like, they'd be like, oh, you know, 
Yeah. We're taking a mass test, and Ethan's just making noise. You just ignore right. it. And I mean, how many of us get out into the workplace and have never right. had to work with distractions around us, and we fail? And these yep. kids know how to work with the distraction. Right. And, and don't you feel the pressure sometimes, though? Um, because, you know, we were the same way. Our guy is nonverbal. And so it took us till he was probably 14 or 15. And then we, 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 someone kept saying to us, Oh my gosh, you've got to take him to Kiwanis camp. The Kiwanis camp is amazing. And we're like, yeah, but you know, if somebody was, you know, abusing him, he wouldn't be able to tell us. And if he was hungry and blah, blah, blah. And so finally we gave in and we took him there. And you know, I, the poor, all the counselors that work at this camp, our students at the local college, and it's a requirement for their graduation, their senior year, to give back to the community in some way. So a lot of them volunteer at this Kiwanis camp. I would highly recommend and see if you have a Kiwanis camp in your area. Um, and so they have kids there in all different age groups, all different kinds of disabilities. And it was really hard the first time, um, but once he went – then we, it was amazing. First of all, you get a whole week. I mean, you're from Sunday to Friday. You have this week of respite, you know, which is so important. And then I had a, a young man come up to me about two years ago. We were at a baseball game and this young man came up to us and he said, I'm sorry, but is that TJ Steelman? And I said, yeah. And I'm like, why do you know him? He's like, I was his camp counselor at Kiwanis, you know, and I can't, you know, he changed my life. And he just went on to talk about how TJ affected his life. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, bye, you know. But, and you, so you start, you start to feel this pressure that you have to give your child to the world so that they can grow. And part of you, you know, on good days, you're like, yes, let me serve the world and let you share, I will share my child with you. And then other days, it's like, really? Really? I don't have enough to do? I have to now help you serve, you know? So, you know, we all have those days, you know, but, but you're right. I mean, it is, that is probably the hardest thing is when you, you know that if anything was going on, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, to help them or whatever. It's such a helpless feeling, but I would highly recommend you look into the Kiwanis program if you have that in your area, but, and, and it is a little easier the older that they get, but I love that you're, you know, that you're talking about how the other kids, especially the younger ones. You know, the older they get, they start to learn the social awkwardness. And But the little ones are like, what's wrong with him? You know, they're so yeah. honest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what's wrong with you? But No, exactly. but yeah. So talk a little bit about, um, as I mentioned before, with your dental hygienic, um, you know, talent and how you recognize that you've got to, I mean, those kids have got to have dental health. As, you know, you can't just say, all right, well, we just won't brush your teeth for 20 years. You know, um, so what do you do? How do you tell the parents about that? Well, you know, um, Ethan was diagnosed the same month that I got my acceptance letter to dental hygiene school. And learning to, learning about Ethan and learning about autism and learning about dental hygiene, it was, um, you know, it was like I just, you know, the the more I, I mother Ethan and learn from him, the more I realized that it was easier for me to connect with and work with people with special needs, but particularly with autism. And I feel like the biggest thing is, is a little bit of fear that people just don't know how to interact Mm. with people with special needs. And I treat them like any other kid and I tease and I have fun and we make jokes and, you know, like I just, 
And I think that that is a huge hurdle, as simple as that is. Mm-hmm. But so, it, you know, it started in dental hygiene school where I was at an event called Give Kids a Smile, and it was a community volunteer program. And all the dentists and hygienists came to the college um, for the at the dental hygiene program, and people, kids from the community that didn't have insurance, couldn't afford dental care, whatever, would come, and we'd do it for free for that day. Well, I was just a junior. I was my first year of dental hygiene school, and I looked over, and I saw this kid struggling. Mm. And I thought, he looks like he has autism. So I looked at his medical history, and it didn't say anything about autism. And mm. the hygienists were just kind of like trying to force him through it. They thought he was just kind of <gasps> being naughty or whatever, and they're like, just open right. your mouth. And so I said, and it, it took, I mean, I, I had to convince myself, because here we're seasoned, hygienist, mm-hmm. and I was just a first year. And so um, I said, is it okay if I help? And they were like, yeah, because we can't get him to do anything. So yeah. all I did was grab the lead apron, and so it was heavy, and I put it on him, and I just started to talk to him, and you could physically see the change in his demeanor. Oh. And so then I just did some really simple things and got his teeth polished and got him through it. And his mom later pulled me aside or she called and she said, I just want to thank you for what happened today. She said, he has autism, but I Aww. didn't want to put it on the medical history because I was afraid they wouldn't treat him. Oh, And so that was my first introduction to the world of den- when, when autism and dentistry meet. Because parents, a lot of times they simply will not tell the providers that the child has autism for fear that their kid won't be seen. Right. So anyway, um, uh, I connected with this family, and then the boy became my patient because we got some things done that day, but, you know, he had a hard time. And so I asked, right. you know, would you be willing to have him come back in, and I'll work with him, and we'll see if we can, can get him through that. So it took a lot of appointments, but finally, like, by the fifth appointment, he let me brush his teeth and polish his teeth, and I just cried after clinic Uh that day because I just felt it it was just so rewarding for me. Right. I met him when he was like five or six years old. He is now 17 years old, and I still see him at our monthly autism support, you know, group, uh, local meetings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his dentist wrote me a letter and said, he's my most well-behaved patient. Oh. Because of you. And so then word kind of got out that there's an autism mom that's a hygienist, and she'll work with your kids, and she can help them overcome fear of of the dentist, of, you know, mm-hmm. the, of the dental appointment. Right. So um, it was just kind of that, and people would call and find out where I worked and bring their kids in, and we just take it step by step. And, you know, sometimes we have to implement a visual schedule or we have to make sure and have some really fun rewards or... You know, it's just knowing mm-hmm. the lingo. It's knowing how to how to give directions, how to, you know, do these things. Now, um, with my patients, we use, um, it's called video self-modeling, mm. where we take a picture of the kid, and there's a company that's called Look At Me Now, and they make different videos of different situations, and they have one for the dentist. And we take a picture of the child, and they um, transpose it onto this video. And it's a video of a kid going to the dentist. 
And so mm-hmm. without setting foot in a dental office, these kids are watching themselves behave appropriately in the dental office. Oh. Wonders. So they wow. have lots of different videos, and they're working on um, potentially having making more videos um, for different medical procedures and things like that. But um, it's just amazing how well it works. And that is I, amazing. It's so fun. I'm, like you say, these kids that need structure and they need a, uh, you know, they need a plan to lay out for them for them to function. So something like seeing themselves go through, go, that is brilliant. I can't believe that. That is so amazing. Well, let me remind everyone, um, if you would like to go to New Mexico and have your children's teeth cleaned, I highly recommend that you do that. I would be contacting your dentist and telling them about this program. So find Jocelyn. Uh, again, her just hashtag Everyday Autism uh, 2015. But your blog is actually Everyday Autism, right? My blog, is the, the address for the blog is autismain'tforsissies.blogspot.com. Okay. All right. So get on to that. Uh, but what are some other ways that they can get a hold of you or, 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 or read your, your social comments daily? So on Facebook, my Facebook page is Autism Ain't for Sissies. On Instagram, um, the username is We Are Autism Strong. You can find me there. Um, my email is fine, jocelynsewell at gmail.com. Um, and then for dental providers, I also have a free course on dentalcare.com. It's the Procter & Gamble for the Crest website. Any dental professional, a hygienist, a dentist, an assistant can get on. You get four free continuing education credits. You read through it. You take a quick exam, um, and that has been really successful. And then if you had any questions or needed anything, I would be happy to help. That is fabulous. I highly recommend any of you dental professionals that are out there to to uh, get on that site and look look that up because it's it's going to be something that I think is going to become more common and it's definitely going to have to be addressed uh, in that community. And just to let everyone know, Jocelyn is coming up to the Portland area, and so she's hopefully going to be doing some training and setting up some some things for uh, serving the the uh, children with disabilities uh, in the Portland area. So that's really exciting, and I'm anxious to meet with her more and talk a little bit more about that. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. We will talk in about two weeks, won't we? Yes. Thank you, Renee. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you. I am so happy that Jocelyn was able to talk with us today. And I, I just think it's important, please, people, to look with patience and understanding. I know one of the things that Jocelyn does is um, she talks in her blog about how she'll put a T-shirt on her son. And at first, you know, she really struggled with that, about putting a T-shirt on that says, I have autism. Um, but it's important for people to recognize that these kids are not poorly parented. They're not spoiled. They're not, um, you know, bratty. That there's an issue that's going on there and you've got a, an overwhelmed parent that's doing the best that they can and we need to be so kind and so understanding to these little people that are out there right now. Um, Ethan reminds me so much of a, of my grandson who 
you know, is uh, struggling with some issues. And he's a big guy. His parents are big people, you know, 6'2", six, 6'0". Six, you know, his mom was 5'10". My my son is 6'2". And, and so he always looked older than he was. And so he was, A, you know, struggling with a disability and, two, big for his age. And, boy, people were mean. I mean, they looked at this little 5-year-old and thought that he should be acting like an 8-year-old. And it was like, he's a baby. He's only 5. Cut him some slack. So please cut everyone some slack today. Give everyone some love. And I, I just want to leave with a quote. I love this quote from Mark Twain. He says, go to heaven for the climate, hell for the company. And I hope that all of you will find some peace and some company in what you might be thinking is a little bit of hell on earth, but it's probably a little bit of heaven. And I hope that you can find some joy in your struggles this week. We will talk again next week. Heaven sent and bent. This is Renee Steelman. Thanks so much for listening. 